Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now it is time for sports news for January 22nd, and your reader is Clark Kibito. As a reminder... Radio Eye is a reading service intended for people who are blind and other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. The five types of Hall of Fame candidates on the 2023 ballot. David Schoenfeld, ESPN Senior Writer Since the very first Baseball Hall of Fame vote in 1936, the results have been steeped in controversy and arguments. It's been almost a hundred years, and voting remains an exercise ranging from polite disagreement to contentious bickering. That felt particularly true in the past decade as the electorate argued publicly for or against polarizing candidates like Roger Clemens and Kurt Schilling. They're off the ballot for the first time since 2012, but there are no shortage of players to debate and numbers to analyze before the results are revealed on Tuesday. Between the lingering questions from the PED era and the blurred line of what makes a Hall of Famer, it has increased partially because of some surprising Veterans Committee selections in recent years. It has become harder than ever to compare players directly to each other. Not that it was easy back in 1936. The committee in charge of tabulating those initial ballots had figured correctly when Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb would battle it out for the most votes. When the first hundred votes were counted, both Cobb and the home run king were unanimous, the Associated Press reported. Ruth was the first to fall out, losing a vote from a writer who had watched him hang up from some of his greatest records. The committee was amazed. Vote counting stopped momentarily for a discussion how anyone could leave the great Ruth off the list of immortals. The same thing happened when Cobb missed his first vote. Cobb finished with 222 votes out of 226 ballots, seven more than Ruth, Honus Wagner. Cobb was crowned baseball's number one immortal, as the headlines put it, and the Cobb vs. Ruth debate filled newspapers, much like cases for Bond's inclusion or exclusion did last year. With all that in mind, let's take stock of where the Hall of Fame voting stands now, by breaking this year's ballot down into a few categories that allow us to examine how the top candidates compare to others with similar Cooperstown cases. The PED Associated Guys On this ballot, Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, Gary Sheffield. Recent examples. Bonds. Clemens. Neither are in. The 10-year run for Bonds and Clemens on the BBWAA ballot expired last year, with Bonds receiving 66% of the vote and Clemens 65. Three writers voted for Bonds, but not Clemens. The two players were immediately bumped over the Contemporary Era Committee ballot, a 16-person committee that included seven Hall of Fame players. With 12 votes needed for election, both received fewer than four. Based on these totals, the door to Cooperstown was perhaps permanently slammed shut for the pair, along with Rafael Palmero, Mark McGuire, and Sammy Sosa. That's bad news for Rodriguez and Ramirez, both of whom would be slam-dunk selections if not for their ties to performance-enhancing drugs. Erod is an absolute inner circle Hall of Famer based on his numbers, 
even if your definition of inner circle is very small. Fifth in home runs, fourth in RBIs, eighth in runs, three-time MVP. When ESPN ranked the 100 greatest players of all time last winter, Rodriguez came in as 26th. It's probably too low for what he accomplished in the field. He's 16th at all-time war and 5th since integration in 1947, by Bonds, Willie Mays, Henry Aaron, and Clemens. Ramirez, while not an inner circle all-around player, is one of the best hitters of all time, ranking 11th in OPS since integration, 12th in RBIs, and 13th in batting average. He never had an MVP award, but had 9 top 10 finishes, including 8 in a row from 98 to 2005, a stretch in which he averaged 41 home runs, 130 RBIs while hitting 318. Alas, performance-enhancing drugs cloud the careers of both. MLB suspended Rodriguez for the entire 2014 season for the use and possession of numerous forms of prohibited performance-enhancing substances, including testosterone and human growth hormone, over the course of multiple years related to the biogenesis investigation. Mears was twice suspended for positive PED tests in 2009 and again in 2011. That puts them in a different position than Bonds and Clemens, who were never suspended by the MLB. Rodriguez and Ramirez got caught after testing and enforcement began. As a result, they're receiving even less support. Rodriguez is in his second year on the ballot after receiving 34% in 2022. He's tracking at 41% on the public ballots monitored at Ryan Thibodeau's Hall of Fame tracker, and Ramirez's totals are below Rodriguez. Sheffield has Hall of Fame credentials as one of the best hitters of his era. 509 home runs, 1,676 RBIs, a 292, 393, 514 slash line, good for an OPS of 140. He walked out more than he struck out and had five top 10 MVP finishes. With his famously quick bat and menacing bat wiggle, he was an absolute force. His estimated 561 runs created above average is 15th since integration just behind Miguel Cabrera and head of Chipper Jones. On his ninth ballot, he's polling at 64% on the public ballots, but that percentage will drop when the final tally is revealed. He finished at 40% last year. Sheffield's middling support goes to three issues. One, during the Balco scandal in 2004, Sheffield admitted using a topical treatment called, quote, the cream that he did not know was a topical steroid at the time while working out with Bonds for the 2002 season. Two, his career saw him play for eight different teams. Three, poor defensive metrics that drag his career war down to 60.5, which is low for a modern Hall of Famer. More likely, it's some combination of all three factors, along with the crowded ballot Sheffield faced earlier. There are already 13 Hall of Famers from the 2015 ballot. Sheffield's first, not to mention Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, and McGuire. Voters can only vote for a maximum of 10 players. He started low and hasn't built any momentum. The high peak guys. On this ballot, Todd Helton. Recent examples, Larry Walker, Edgar Martinez, Johan Santana, Nomar Garcia Parra. Walker and Martinez are in. Here we are looking at players with a case that revolves around a few seasons of very high performance, rather than a long career compiling milestones that enhance a Hall of Fame resume. Walker and Martinez were recently elected in their final year of ballot eligibility, despite finishing with fewer than 2,300 hits and 400 home runs at offensive-minded positions while Santana and Garcia Parra failed to receive 5% of the vote 
and got quickly booted off the ballot. From 2000 to 2004, Hilton had a dominant five-year run with the Rockies, hitting 349, 450, 643 while averaging 50 doubles, 37 home runs, and 123 RBIs. Yes, this was peak pre-humidor Coors Field, but Helton still averaged 7.5 war per season over that span. While in that other good seasons and lasted long enough to compile over 2,500 hits, these were the only five war seasons of his career. His Hall of Fame case rests on how much weight to give to those five great years. Now let's compare him to other recent high-peak performers. Walker and Martinez had relatively short careers for modern Hall of Famers. There are 70 Hall of Fame position players who began their careers in 1947 or later, but Martinez ranks 59th in plate appearances and Walker ranks 62nd. Five of those below them were players affected by the sport's color barrier, so it's really more like 59th and 62nd out of 65. Both have relatively modest career counting stats for offensive-oriented positions. 309 home runs and 1,261 RBIs for Martinez and 383 home runs, and 1311 RBIs for Walker. Santana, meanwhile, had an incredible five-year run from 2004 to 2008, when the Twins and Mets, when he was the best pitcher in baseball, going 86 and 39 with a 2.82 ERA, while averaging 229 innings. He won two Cy Young awards and should have won a third. From 97 to 03, sandwiched around an injury in 01, Garcia Parra hit 326 won two batting titles, and averaged 28 home runs and 108 RBIs. Santana lasted just one year on the ballot, and Garcia Parra too. You need 5% of the remote to remain. Let's compare the best five season for these players. Walker, 34.8 war, 47.9% of career value. Martinez, 32, 47% of career value. Santana, 35, 69% of career value. Garcia Parra, 34, 77% of career value, and Helton, 36, 37.6, 60% of career value. Helton is right in the middle, and one makes his Hall of Fame case a tough one. He has the best five-year peak, but Walker and Martinez did a lot more outside of those seasons, while Santana and Garcia Parra didn't do enough. In fact, via BaseballReference.com, Helton is just one of 47 players since 1947 with at least five six-war seasons not including active players like Mookie Betts and Nolan Arenado. Only one with less career total war than Helton is Garcia Parra. The most similar career arc belongs to Chase Utley, who had a dominant run of five straight seasons where he compiled 39.7 war. He finished with 64 and has yet to reach the ballot, so we don't know how voters will evaluate his career. Helton is training in the right direction, receiving 52% last year and polling at 79% on the public ballots. In my book, he's a stronger candidate than Fred McGriff, who was just elected in December by that Contemporary Era committee, receiving all 16 votes. Wait, there's actually another player with a similar case to Helton's. We'll get to him next. The defense and war guys. On this ballot, Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, Bobby Abreu, Omar Vizquel. Recent examples, Mike Mussina, Kurt Schilling, Alan Trammell. Mussina and Trammell are in. Like Helton, Jones had six or five six-war seasons. He also had a relatively short career as he flamed out after turning 30. Just as Mussina's election resulted heavily from his career war total of 82.8 rather than the traditional pitching factors like 300 wins, 
Cyan Awards, and Peak Dominance, Jones' case rests on advanced metric, and that's where it gets interesting. Bill James, the first ballot sabermetrician Hall of Famer, recently wrote this in response to a question from a reader. Andrew Jones is not iffy. Andrew Jones is a completely unqualified candidate who has all sort of ex inexplicably developed a base of delusional fans who imagine that he should be a Hall of Famer. Jones has slowly built momentum during his five years on the ballot, receiving 7.3% his first year to 41.4% last, and currently receiving 68% of the public vote. James is right about one thing. Jones definitely has an enthusiastic base of proponents. So the argument basically goes like this. He's the, he's the best defensive center fielder of all time, and he had 434 home runs. Jones' career war is 62.7, is borderline, and includes off-the-chart defensive metrics. Two notes here. How much does that war figure mean when comparing candidates? Remember the metric has become more relied on by voters in only the past decade or so. The, BB <clears throat> the BBWA has elected 55 position players who began their careers since 1947, not including those with shorter careers who began in the Negro Leagues. The average war is 77.5, so Jones is well below the usual standard. It doesn't mean Jones shouldn't go in, not every Hall of Famer has to be above average. Indeed, 10 of those 55 have a lower career war than Jones, including 5 outfielders, Vladimir Guerrero, Willie Stargell, Kirby Puckett, Jim Rice, and Lou Brock. Baseball Reference credits Jones with 235 runs saved on defense, fourth most since 1947 behind only Brooks Robinson, Mark Bellinger, and Ozzie Smith. So more than Roberto Clemente or Willie Mays, even though Jones played many fewer innings in the outfield than those two legendary fielders. Over 17,000 innings for Jones, 20,000 for Clemente, and 24-plus thousand for Mays. Maybe Jones was that good in center field, as his 10 straight gold gloves indicate. He played a shallow center field, but was able to get the balls hit over his head because of his tremendous jumps and instincts, at least early in his career, excellent speed. James' major contention appears to be that the defensive estimates at baseball reference are giving Jones too much credit for his defense, and those emphasizing his 434 home runs are overstating his offensive contributions. The idea that Jones is an all-time great defensive center fielder isn't a new argument. While he was active, he was compared to Mays all the time. As a hitter, despite the 434 home runs, BR credits Jones with just 119 runs created above average. Of the post-1950 Hall of Fame outfielders, the only with a similarly low total is Lou Brock at 120. Everyone else has more than 200, at most above 400. Remember, Jones's peak years came in the heart of a high-scoring era. When he led the NL in home runs and RBIs in 2005, that was the only season he ranked in the top 10 in the NL in slugging percentage. He never ranked in the top 10 in OPS. After flaming out quickly once he turned 30, Jones finished with 1,000, 910 hits. Until the Golden Era Committee elected Tony, Olivia, and Gil Hodges last year, no position players from post-1950 had ever been elected with fewer than 2,000 hits, except those whose careers were shortened by the color barrier. James' own win share metrics does rate Jones as a superb outfielder, although not quite as valuable over his career as Mays. Jones, 235 fielding runs, 91 fielding win shares. Mays, 185 fielding runs, 104.1 fielding win shares. Win shares aren't on the same scale as fielding runs.
to be close to maize and fewer innings does verify the eye test and even the reputation at the time that Jones was a maze-like in center field. But you also have to put a lot of trust in those war fielding estimates to consider Jones a strong Hall of Fame candidate. The difficulty of Jones's case can be seen when comparing Jones to two others on the ballot via James Winshare's analysis. Jones, 276 win shares, 90.5 fielding. Torrey Hunter, 277 win shares, 71.5 fielding. Omar Vizcale, 282 win shares, 121.8 fielding. Hunter won nine gold gloves, so he was no slouch himself in center field, but is credited with just 33 fielding runs, a whopping 232 fewer than Jones. James's metric, on the other hand, say is much closer to Jones as a fielder. By the way, in terms of raw range factor, Hunter made 2.8 plays per nine innings in center field over his career compared to 2.76 for Jones. The two are very similar in career offensive value. Jones, 434 home runs, 1,289 RBIs, 254, 337, 486, 111 OPS, plus 119 batting runs. Hunter, 353 home runs, 1,391 RBIs, 277, 331, 461, 110 OPS+, plus, plus 113 batting runs. Because of the difference in fielding evaluation, however, Hunter is credited with just 50.7 career war. As a result, Hunter is receiving just 2.5% of the vote and will likely be off the ballot next year. It's not necessarily unusual for two players with similar careers to have such widely different Hall of Fame results, see Carlos Delgado vs. McGriff, but Jones and Hunter certainly provide an extreme contrast. So yes, more matters. Peak value matters. Defense is important, and a quick look at the other three players listed above. Scott Rowland Rowland is headed to the Hall of Fame, if not in 2023, then almost certainly in 2024. He's currently polling at 80%, and given his final percentage dropped 7.8% last year from the pre-results, he's going to be extremely close to 75%. It's quite a rise for a player who debuted with 10.2% of the vote in 2018. No player who debuted since 1947 received such a low percentage on their first ballot and still got elected by the BBWAA. An eight-time Gold Glove winner at third base, baseball reference credits him with 175 fielding runs tied for the 12th most since 1947. He was a better offensive player than Jones, with 234 batting runs and a 122 OPS, although their career counting stats are similar. Roland had over 2,000 hits, 316 home runs, 1,287 RBIs, and 1,211 runs. I compare Roland more to Larry Walker than Jones, a terrific all-around player with a career interrupted by injuries, but enough value and excellence to warrant selection. Bobby Abreu. He's on the ballot for the fourth time and receiving 19% of the vote, most of those coming from the analytic community that sees a vastly underrated player whose 60.2 career war puts him in the Cooperstown discussion. Did people think of Abreu as a Hall of Fame type player while active? No. He made just two all-star teams and never finished in the top 10 in the MVP voting. His best years, however, came on bad Phillies teams and he had a wide range of skills, hitting 291 with a 395 on base percentage topping 30 steals six times, driving in 100 runs eight times, and averaging 156 games from 1998 to 2010. 13 consecutive seasons with at least 150 games. Bill James gives him 356 win shares, 
300 is short of the minimum threshold for the Hall of Fame under the Windshare standard, making him a stronger candidate than either Jones or Roland, 304 Windshares by that system. I suspect Abreu's case will continue to pick up momentum, though getting to 75% down the road still looks like a long shot. Omar Vizquel He was on a Hall of Fame track a few years ago, with over 50% of that vote, and then he was accused of domestic abuse, and a former bat boy for the AA team Vizquel managed in 2019 followed a civil lawsuit for sexual harassment. His vote plummeted to 23.9% in 22, and below 10% in 2023. Vizquel's case, such as it is or was, is all defense. Except baseball reference credits him with just 129 fielding runs, barely half that of Jones. Vizquel ended up with 45.6 career war, well below Hall standards. The longevity matters, guys. On this ballot, Jeff Kent, Andy Pettit. Recent examples, Fred McGriff and Jack Morris. Both are in. This is Kent's final year, and he's not going to get in, even though he's the all-time leader in home runs among second basemen. 42 more than Robinson Cano, third in RBIs behind Knapp, LaJoy, and Rogers Hornsby. His lack of support has been a little baffling, especially since he also won an MVP award. Like Sheffield, he moved around a lot in his late blooming career. He was better in his 30s than his 20s, meant he wasn't considered a Hall of Fame type player while active, but he kept going and going, playing until he was 40 years old. Pettit won't get close either, and I bring up these two because they're eventually going to be a slam dunk choices for a future committee. Compare them to a recent committee selection from the BBWA passed on. McGriff, 493 home runs, 1,550 RBIs, 2490 hits, 34, 1349 runs, 52 war. Kent, 377, 1518, 2,500-plus hits, 1320 runs, and a higher war at 55. Morris, 256 and 186, a 3.9 ERA, 46 war. Pettit, 256, 153, 3.85 ERA, 60 war. Morris, of course, had his Game 7 shutout in the 1991 World Series, but Pettit had no shortage of postseason moments, helping the Yankees win five World Series titles. He was on TV screens every October for nearly two decades. Like Morris, he lacks the traditional arguments of 300 wins and a Cy Young awards but argue he actually has a much stronger case. Kent and Pettit don't fit into the columns of high war and are high peak as both of the kind of viewed as compilers, but the air committees have softened in recent years with several marginal selections. Kent and Pettit will absolutely get in someday. The Closers vs. Center Fielders Conundrum On this ballot, Billy Wagner, Francisco Rodriguez, Andrew Jones, Carlos Beltran, Tory Hunter. Recent examples, Mariano Rivera, Lee Smith, King Griffey Jr. There are many Hall of Fame debates, some fun, some less fun. How to weigh peak value versus longevity, how much emphasis to place on advanced metrics, and what to do with PED guys. Those issues have reasonable answers on both sides, but this is the most confounding to me. Hall of Fame voters absolutely love closers. Don't believe me? It's true. Hoyt Wilhelm was the first closer elected to the Hall of Fame. We're going to skip him. He was a completely different era of baseball. The modern era for closers really began in the 1970s. Raleigh Fingers was the first from this era to make the Hall of Fame when the BBWA elected him in 92. He debuted in 1968. 
Here are the Hall of Famers broken down position who produced most of their value in the 1970s and later. Catcher 6, first base 6, second base 4, third base 4, shortstop 6, left field 4, center field 2, right field 6, DH 4, starting pitcher 17, closer 7. Yes, more closers than any other position outside of starting pitchers. Seven of them, Fingers, Goose Gossage, Bruce Suter, Dennis Eckersley, Lee Smith, Trevor Hoffman, and Mariona Rivera. All except Smith were elected by the BBWAA. And Wagner might sneak in too. He's at 73%, but his last year's final result only fell 0.7 from his pre-result, so he'll be right at the 75% line. That's what really stands out. Seven closers and only two center fielders, Ken Griffey Jr. and Kirby Puckett. If you want to include Andre Dawson, fine. He played more games at right field and won his MVP award as a right fielder, although his best seasons came with the Expos as a center fielder. If you want to make an argument for Jones or first ballot candidate Carlos Beltran, who finished with 70 war, or even Hunter, this is your case. Put in some center fielders, among those the BBWAA passed over. Kenny Lofton. 68.4 war, over 1,500 runs, 622 stolen bases, 4 gold gloves. Jim Edmonds, 60.4 war, a little short on career counting numbers, 393 homers, 1,199 RBIs, but a high peak. He had 7 seasons of 5-plus war. Bernie Williams, 49, a key member of the Yankees' dynasty, career war, killed by horrendous defensive metrics. Minus 139 fielding runs. Dale Murphy, 46.4 war, two-time MVP, sputtered out quickly. Of course, Mike Trout will cruise in five years from wherever he retires. Still, two center fielders in 50 years. Weird. I think part of the problem is center field, like third base, is kind of a hybrid offense-defense position. It didn't help that Lofton and Williams also entered on crowded ballot years, Never really got the opportunity to have their cases discussed. So yes, Beltron with 435 home runs, 1,587 RBIs, and dominant postseason numbers should be an easy choice. Except, of course, his role in the Astros' cheating scandal makes his case a little more complicated. In order of the long-term ramifications, he's pulling at 56%, but I think he'll eventually get in. Hopefully Lofton, Edmonds, and Williams will get a second look from the Air Committee. Just as Billy Wagner doesn't have to be Mariona Rivera to get in as a closer, our center fielder shouldn't have to be Willie Mays or Ken Griffey Jr. Although if you fielded like Mays for a decade, that will help your case. Mike Trout says back injury has been, quote, non-issue for months. Associated Press, New York. Mike Trout feels pain-free as the start of spring training approaches. Los Angeles Angels three-time American League MVP was sidelined between July 12th and August 19th by an injury to his upper back and rib cage. After returning, he hit 308 with 16 homers and 29 RBIs in 40 games, with an overall season average of 283 with 40 homers and 80 RBIs in 119 games. The 31-year-old 10-time All-Star is captain of the U.S. team in the World Baseball Classic or report to spring training by February 16th. The back's been a non-issue for the past four months, Trout said during a conference call Friday. I felt a little bit when I came up during last season last year, and I've been on top of it pretty well, and just keeping the same routine in the weight room, just a warm-up, 
and making sure all the back muscles around it is strong. The U.S. team will try to defend its 2017 World Baseball Classic title. The 21 tournament was called off because of the pandemic. The road to that starts when players report to the Phoenix area on March 6th, and play exhibition games in Arizona against the Giants on March 8th and the Angels on March 9th. Americans open World Baseball Classic play against Britain on March 11th as part of a first-round group that includes Mexico, Canada, and Colombia. Trout is from South New Jersey. Talk Friday about another team to him, the NFL. This wraps it up for sports news. Your reader has been Clark Kibido. Thank you for listening. Now please stay tuned for continued programming on Radio I. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.